Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Matt gives to Lyles. Catch and shoot three. Got it! Trey Lyles, cold-blooded rookie from Kentucky from the right side. It is locked on Jazz for the 2nd of June. We'll break down a preview to the NBA Finals. The wackiness is the mock draft. The Jazz experience personified. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on jazz. Pow. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. Hope you're great. Thanks so much for tuning in. Appreciate everybody who does. The numbers have been fabulous, and we uh, appreciate that. And uh, got a lot of interest from people about advertising on the podcast. If you are interested in being a part of uh, Locked on Jazz, uh, then go ahead and email me, dlock09 at gmail.com, dlock at 09 at gmail.com, and we'll see what we can uh, arrange to get you on board and get you to be a part of the family. Would really would love to have that happen uh, for everybody involved. All right, uh, lots of different things here, uh, and lots of different little topics. We'll, obviously, our tip-off topic will be the NBA Finals today, and, and we'll get into that. Um, and then the mock drafts are just insane, and they're all over the place, and we'll deal with that uh, as well. Congratulations, by the way, to The Ringer, who's now up and running. Good for us as a sports fans. We'll try to get some of those guys on the Locked on NBA podcast. The Locked on NBA podcast has a really good podcast with The Scout uh, that's available for you that you probably want to hear today. If you haven't done so already, he breaks down both the Cavs and uh, the Warriors and has an interesting comment that he believes that the Cavaliers need to have uh, Kyrie Irving be Batman and uh, LeBron be Robin. So I think that's interesting. I'll get into that a little bit here uh, as well. There's also a good conversation with Mark Spears, who writes for The Undefeated, who wrote a really important piece that we'll touch on today uh, about the lack of African-American uh, general managers in the league right now, uh, as well as, uh, you know, Actually, overall, the league's always been on the forefront and is fading a little bit, so we'll touch on that. All right, so those are the uh, various things today. You can follow me on Facebook at David Locke and Locked On Sports. The Locked On Podcast Network has also got a Facebook page. Would love it if you followed that and liked it. I guess you like things now. And I'm on Twitter at Locked On Sports if you haven't um, already done so. All right, let's get out to our pins across the world. For those of you that are new, we've always, this has been kind of this year's feature. Uh, you send in an email at that same address, dlock09 at gmail.com, and tell us your backstory on how you became a jazz fan specifically or an NBA fan that listens to the podcast and, uh, and where you're listening from. David. 
This is from Isaac Adams in Richmond, Virginia. I'm originally from Wyoming, but now a transplant to Richmond, Virginia, where I attend law school and met my amazing wife. We're now well settled in Virginia with our two daughters, and I found it more difficult to follow the jazz from afar. So grateful for your podcast, which allows me to stay in touch. I was raised in a small town of Wyoming, became obsessed with basketball in the first or second grade. I would read any book I could find about basketball. When I came home from school, there was nothing I looked forward to more than watching the Jazz play with my dad from the start. I was a gigantic John Stockton fan. When it came time to choose a biography to read for class assignments, I would look into a vein for something about Stockton so I could do my report on him. When I was in third or fourth grade, my childhood friend and his family, originally from Washington State, were huge Trailblazer fans, invited me to join them for a road trip to Salt Lake to see the Jazz and Blazers. That was my first experience watching a professional game in any sport. It was an amazing environment, and we came prepared with earplugs. Unfortunately, the Jazz lost to the Blazers, and we got to go head down to the court. Oh, we got to head down. I thought he had his head down because they lost. We got to go uh, head down to the court afterwards and see sweaty Carl Malone. And tried to talk to Clyde Drexler. He's the only big Jazz fan in my class. I remember many long arguments with friends about why the Jazz were going to win the 97 and 98 finals. And the Jazz are key to many of my early memories. I'm excited for the future of the team. Again, thanks for the great work. That's Isaac Adams in Richmond, Virginia. That's our pin across the world today. DLock09 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And let's get to our tip-off story of the day. It's the NBA Finals. They start tonight. By the way, unlikely we're doing a podcast tomorrow. I'm going to be in Idaho for a softball tournament. First game's at 8 a.m. Uh, I don't think I'm waking up in my hotel room at 6 to uh, wake up my daughter so I can do a, do a tip, uh, uh, tip uh, podcast, tip off Lockdown Jazz. So uh, just so you know. All right. So I actually think this is going to be a whitewash. I, I could be dead wrong. Uh, I don't think there's anything that Cleveland can do to replicate Oh, uh, what uh, to replicate what Oklahoma City did. They just don't have the bigs. What Oklahoma City did that was particularly different is they were able to take their bigs, switch on Curry and Thompson and everybody on the outside, and then get up on them. And that's the key. Teams have switched, but they usually switch and corral, and then you allow a three. So they got their bigs up on them tight, trying to take away that three-point shot, at which point when that happened – you end up now. Now Curry eventually would drive by this length. It would take him a little while because he had to veer his route. And Abaka or Durant, if it was Adams was out, are seven feet tall and would come over and protect the basket. Okay, that just doesn't exist. Cleveland doesn't have any of that. They don't have any big. Maybe Tyson Chandler, or maybe uh, excuse me, maybe Tristan Thompson, who can get out on the ball like that. And they don't have a secondary wing defender at all. Or a secondary rim protector at all. So they don't have the wing like Durant who can come in. And they don't have an extra big who can come in. They just, they try that same approach and it's going to be a mess. And the Warriors will kill it. And so I, I, I don't see Cleveland being able to replicate what Oklahoma City did. Each series is its own individual body and has its own DNA structure. And I don't think this one's going to be at all the same. I'm trying to make sure I don't look at this too much from a Warriors perspective. Uh, You know, from a Cleveland perspective, I almost think they have to go small. I think we got to see LeBron at the five, LeBron at the four. I don't know what they necessarily, I almost feel like Channing Frye and Kevin Love 
play those center minutes. And and Tristan Thompson, I guess, becomes the guy who's uh, in there getting the offensive rebounds and creating the difficulty. But if I'm Cleveland, I actually would try to outscore the Warriors. I think if they try to defend the Warriors like Oklahoma City did, it's a four-game sweep. And frankly, I think they would get out of it very, very quickly before it got too deep and into too much trouble. The second angle on that is if I'm Cleveland, I'm playing LeBron at the four of the five, Kevin Love and Channing Frye as my five for most of the minutes of the game, and I'm outshooting the Warriors. And I don't think you can outshoot the Warriors for seven game, four out of seven games, but I do think you can get a few, and maybe you get the right one early, and it changes the tenor of the series. These are two of the most highly proficient three-point shooting teams in the league. The amount of threes we're going to see is just incredible. Uh, you know, the Cavaliers this year shot 35% of their shots as three-point shots. That, that's, and a little bit more in the playoffs, that's who they are. The Warriors shot 35 36%. That's who they are, obviously. But the Cavaliers need to actually probably bring that up even higher. Cavaliers, I, I think, just spread the floor. And then you get into what the scout was talking about with Batman Rob if you spread the floor. If you spread the floor enough, Kyrie Irving might be the best one-on-one player in the NBA. He's one of the best rim finishers in the league, and he really might be one of the truly best just one-on-one isolation players in the NBA. Just maybe the singularly off-the-bounce, most unguardable player in the league. And so if you've got that, the only way it works, though, is you've got the floor so spread that Golden State's not able to get to him. And once Golden State's not able to get to him, then uh, you end up with a, you know, you end up with, Kyrie creating those three-point shooting opportunities. They're going to get those three-point shooting opportunities either based on Kyrie Irving's one-on-one play or LeBron James getting in the post, needing to help, and then you end up getting kick-out opportunities. And and then the question, who else is on the floor? So I think that's where Love or Fry becomes important, and Love's been better than people are giving him credit for in the playoffs. And then I think you need... I actually think you go Del Vadova with J.R. Smith and Kyrie Irving with LeBron. And I, I keep hearing Amon Shumpert, and I understand it, but my only thought on that is that Amon Shumpert is the is not a great shooter. And I, I think actually is Cleveland, if they've got a chance at this thing, it's to outscore and outshoot the Warriors. But otherwise, I, I thought their game plan last year was brilliant, and they can't replicate it. That's what's interesting. I thought last year's game plan, where they just slowed the game down, they ground it to a halt, they put it in LeBron's hands, they got their ba- their defense floor was always balanced, they were always back for in transition, they took the transition away from Steph. I thought that was the right answer. So keep an eye on it. Kyrie sh- shoots 59% at the rim. It's one of the best in the league. This year he did not shoot the three well. He was down at 32%, but his career is 38%. And there's kind of a magic number 
there, by the way, where you take a guy 753s, and at 753s, that's kind of his number. And his number was 38% at the first 750. He just had an outlier year this year. You know, he had an outlier year last year, really, where he shot 42%. This year he shot 32%. He's a 37% three-point shooter. So that's my thought. How, how does Cleveland, if I'm Cleveland, what's my strength? My strength is I might be able to outshoot him. I can't switch defensively. I can't do these things as well as everybody else. I still don't know what they do defensively. I, I don't know if they go small like I'm talking about. Kevin Love ends up on Draymond Green. I, I don't know how he does it. But Channing Fry can't do it either. And that's, I guess, where you go to LeBron's the five. And now you, now you just have a question whether they have enough good wing players. It's an interesting series. Uh, I I think the Warriors are going to whitewash them. I think the Warriors are going to get out there. It's going to be... Uh, I, I think they're going to see the the ease by which they score, the lack of length, and I think they're going to... I think they're really going to take it to them. So that's, that's my thought. Uh, let's get to the uh, mailbag. Uh, and, and get some of the questions that are coming in uh, from various people. I think I mentioned it yesterday on the show, but welcome to Kristen Kenny, new member of our TV broadcast team. Uh, we're sure excited to have um, Kristen as part of the family and uh, have her on the on the staff. She, we, we all met her last week, and she seems very uh, energetic and excited and has a Utah tie like anyone who's got in their bio. They ski double black diamonds. So... Uh, good stuff. Uh, excited to have, excited to have her uh, on the crew. All right, let's uh, take some questions. Uh, Justin Pearson uh, says he was intrigued by a comment by Quinn, uh, where he said that he should have played Jeff Withy more. Jeff always does a great job. For me, it seemed that every time Withy was on the floor, he was solid. So I checked some stats and found that Withy's defensive plus minus was really good. Uh, and he uh, what a uh, saw a lot of minutes from uh, the Booker stole a lot of minutes from Withy. I'm trying to condense it a little bit. Not doing a very good job. I'd rather see more Withy at the five, favors at the four, than favors at the five and Booker at the four. Um, you know, Booker really couldn't shoot this year, which was part of the problem. You would have hoped that he. That he could have shot a little bit better. I think that was part of the concept. You really have no stretch of the floor with Withy and Favors. Jeff had a really good year. He showed what what a pro he is. I, I would suspect he'll probably be back. Um. This next year, uh, he's a limited offensive player, and he's a good defensive player, and he's a particularly good weak side defender. He's not a good on ball. He's not very. His, his hips are very high, and so he doesn't hold ground very well on ball, which also means he's not a great rebounder. Um, but he's. But he's been good. I mean, his the productivity when he's on the floor is undeniable. What are my thoughts on Withy compared to Nick Collison? I think Nick uh, is going to stay in Oklahoma City and probably coach there one day. I think he's embedded. Uh, Tiago Splitter. Um, you know, this is the problem Jeff Withy had that is the same thing. I like Splitter. Um, he sets great screens. He understands systems. He plays well inside of structure. But here's the same problem that I think – Withy had getting on the floor uh, for the Jazz is that how many non-shooting bigs in this day and age can you have on your roster? So the Jazz have two in Favors and Gobert, 
and they'll probably have a third, but how much time is a non third non-shooting big playing? You, know, you just don't see that very much. Uh, Azili, he mentions, who uh, uh, it's nice to be very expensive down there where we're going to spend. Uh, Jan Mahimi was one of the best rim protectors in the league in Indiana. Uh, again, I think he would compliment Gobert, uh, but that would have to become our two centers. Mahimi, who started all year, would have to be willing to come off the bench. Monte Yunus in Houston is a guy I like. He's not a rim protector. He's seven feet tall. He's actually more of a stretch four. He is an outside shooter. He's a very, very good passer. I'm a big, I like Monte Yunus an awful lot. The back problem had him come from Detroit and get traded back. Uh, Zaza Pachulia is a j- player the Jazz looked at last offseason, but same issue. You know, three non-shooting pigs. How are you getting Pachulia on the floor? He's a great player. He's tough as hell. He sets great picks. He manages the game beautifully. Uh, you know, just as a inside of his own skill set, he knows how to win. Uh, but again, where's what's he doing? Um, you know, the Jazz are going to play favors at the five. You, you know, Justin's point here is he thinks that Withy is better plus-minus guy than everyone on the list. Um, should the Jazz just get Withy more minutes? And the Jazz, I like Withy, and maybe try to get him more minutes, but <clears throat> we still get into the same game here of how are you, how many minutes are you playing from non-shooting bigs? And then when you have Lyles, who's, I, I'm not, if I'm building the Jazz, I'm not doing anything that restricts Trey Lyles' minutes. I might be willing to restrict Dante Axum's minutes a little bit. I might be willing to uh, maybe take away some of Rodney Hood's minutes, not not to per, uh, slow down his development, but just because I need another player there, and then I really put the load on Rodney. I think, I think you could have Rodney come off the bench this year with the ball in his hands and develop uh, in a manner that would be productive for his future. And, um, does, and and still continue for him to develop. You, you wouldn't be slowing. I mean, he's a really, really important piece to our future. Um, and I, I, I think that he, uh, I, I think, you know, I, I'm not, I don't want to do anything that slows him down, but I think having him come off the bench where he becomes the primary offensive player in the second unit could be, could still move Rodney Hood forward. Might play fewer minutes. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to do that if we can get somebody who's noticeably better than Rodney Hood or at least depth from the top down. I'm not actually willing to do that with Trey Lyles in any way, uh, shape, or form. All right. Uh, Andrew Adams sends in a question. I'm really high on Rubio. Uh, it's looking more and more like they're going to pick Dunn. Uh, how you know, I have no idea because this draft is nuts. Uh, do you think they would move Rubio? I do think there's an interesting scenario here where if Murray or Dunn or someone goes there, is there any reason why Minnesota is going to, with the new Scott Layden, Tom Thibodeau group, decide, you know, could you end up getting Rubio for your for the 12th pick of the draft? And he's got a lot of years on his contract and he's expensive, but you're, actually get, you're giving up the 12th pick for a future piece. And is there any area where Minnesota would decide, you know what, we've got Carl Anthony Towns, we've got Andrew Wiggins, we're going to draft another kid now. Those are going to be our three core pieces, and we're going to draft around it, and then we're going to move forward and and be very patient about what they're doing because they have security in their front office. Uh, I, I don't know the answer. I don't know if they think you – know, here's the question we don't know. Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins are clearly one and two for their future championship. Do they believe that Rubio is number three? 
And maybe they don't. Maybe they don't believe a non-shooting point guard is their number three. In which case, then maybe you, they want to be out from under that contract to be able to sign uh, a big-name player or have the cap room. Uh, but Rubio's contract is real. R- Rubio's contract has, uh, I, I'll look it up right now, has many years and has um, is long and would hamstring the Jazz a little bit. But I, I know this is contrary, like, Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck then uh, would hear this and, and just die a little bit. I'm a little bit of the school of, you know what, uh, let's make some moves in which we have to just deal with a salary cap problem later. You know, at some point you don't get any bonus points for having your salary cap perfectly organized the whole time. So Rubio's at $13 million, which is, you know what, that's an NBA starter in the new collective bargaining agreement. $13 million might not be expensive. Rubio's at thirteen million next year, fourteen the year after, and fourteen eight the year after that. That that last year on that contract's a problem for the Jazz because by that point, Gobert and uh, Hayward have thrust into a different stratosphere and possibly favors as well. All right, great questions today. Those are can come in at dlock09 at gmail dot com. Uh, the mock draft world is insane right now, so I, I feel like there's some breaks. And I, this is always what I'm looking to do, and I have some charts that I kind of put everybody's mocks together and try to find the break. So there's a break at two, right? Simmons and Ingram seem to be universally one and two. Then there may be a break at eight. Bender, the European, Jamal, uh, Jamal Brown, Jamil Brown, I'm now placing on names, Brown out of Cal, um, Jalen Brown, thank you. I don't know who I'm thinking. I just found it myself. Uh, Jalen Brown, Jamal Murray, uh, Buddy Heald, Marquise Chris, and Chris Dunn seem to be kind of the next tier through eight. Now, even in that, Brown is eight in Chad Ford's draft, four in Basketball Insider's draft. Chris is nine in Chad Ford's old mock draft, three in Draft Express. That's why I kind of have it at eight because I don't think Chris is really at nine anymore. I think Chad will change that. I'm hoping to get Chad next week for a podcast, by the way. So that that's then the next break, as insane as this is, is nine to 25. And I could probably argue 30. Ellison is anywhere from five to seven. Uh, Jakob Pertl, Labassier, all are 10-11. So is Davis. Doesn't seem to be able to get by 14. Uh, Prince and Luau are on mock drafts that Chad hasn't put hasn't put him into his yet. Um, the And that will probably change. Baldwin is 10 in Draft Express, 18 in Basketball Insiders, was 18 on Chad Ford. It's it's great. Korkmaz, who we talked about yesterday, 12 on Chad Ford, 24 on Basketball Insider, 14 on NBA Draft Express. It's nuts. Jones out of Vanderbilt, who I kind of liked while watching Baldwin, was 19 on 127, and the other wasn't in Chad's first round. It's just bouncing all over the place. DeJounte Murray, who I've done a breakdown on, is not in Basketball Insider's first round anywhere. 33, according to Draft Express. 24, according to Chad Ford. And I think could be in the top 15. 
it's nutty. Thon Maker is anywhere from 23 to 32. It's crazy. So that second, that third tier either breaks at nine with Ellison, Pirtle, Labossier, Valentine, Davis, Luau, Prince, Jackson, Beasley, Baldwin, Eulis, few Europeans, Sabonis, Korkmaz, and then breaks because there aren't many of the next group of guys you can put in the top ten. But, in fact, on the other end, I think Don Maker's a chance. He shot well in Indiana again. Sounds like he really continues to shoot very, very well in all of his workouts. So you've got a 7-1 guy who's incredibly bouncy who can shoot. Murray is a 6-5 guy with a 6-9 wingspan with incredible upside. I, I, there's no reason why he either of those guys might not go in the top 24, 25 drafts. So now you're pushing this thing down to 27, 28, 29, 30. You got Mike, uh, Malachi Richardson, who's a unique talent, Chad Ford Adam at 20. And some of the Europeans, center out of Croatia, has bounced anywhere from. So it it is really interesting to see what's going on in this draft. And I, I think it opens up the playing field for everything. It's really going to come down to eye of the beholder, which is going to make it particularly interesting. So that's where we sit with mock drafts right now. I mean, you, from a jazz standpoint, I think you've got to look at Ellison. I think there's a chance. It only takes one thing for Pirtle to get there. Labossier, there's only a chance he gets there. Valentine, Davis, Luau, Prince, Jackson, Beasley, Baldwin, Diallo. I don't think we go Ulis. Sabonis, Korkmaz, I think it's a possibility. I think Maker's a possibility. These are a bunch of names you probably don't know very well yet. I'll try to break them all down for you as we get closer. And Locked on NBA will have a bunch of draft podcasts for you. So really, it's 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 nuttiness. It's it's amazing, and uh, also makes I think what it does is I think it makes picks thirty through forty valuable. Jazz don't have those. You know they have Jazz have their picks in the mock draft, and those aren't them. So, but they probably there's a chance they get in there. Uh, really interesting piece by Mark Spears who we had on the Locked on NBA podcast about the lack of diversity on the sidelines in front office in the NBA. And what's interesting about it is I think there's two things. One is that the NBA has always been at the forefront on the cutting edge of the uh, of the race relations and integration. They've been better in the NFL, uh, far better than baseball. And I, I got to say, I think it's a little bit of a step backwards. And – uh, I honestly think, which is terrible, and I, I, I think that part of it is the analytics. That somehow the analytic world has made guys like Troy Worthy, uh, Weaver and Scott Perry and um, Walt Perrin, and, who are the jazz staff, and guys that used to be the next GM from their time of scouting and working in the field and understanding the game and relationships get usurped. And frankly, there has yet to be an African-American analytics guy. And that seems ridiculous. I mean, that's that's just can't be true, right? That's just a bias. Um, and the analytics guys are getting into the business young and inexperienced. So it's even more of a bias that's not right. This is a big issue in my mind. 
And I, 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 if you've been listening to this podcast, I've been referencing it here for a while. That I said the Dave Fisdale hire was important because otherwise we really were heading in. But we're still, it's still an issue. And there are numerous candidates out there that are getting usurped by a new age candidate, which is is or is not working. I don't think we actually know that answer. The other one that's happening is that agents are getting into the business. So Justin Zanuck's a good example of that. Uh, Bob Myers is a good example of that. Agents are getting into the business at a much higher level than they have in the past, and that is a predominantly white field as well. So the two areas by which front office people are being recruited right now are analytics and agents, and those are overwhelmingly white professions until LeBron built up an African-American group and Clutch and some others. Uh, B.J. Armstrong tried it and hasn't done as well. And so that is... Those are the reasons. Now, those reasons are not good enough, and it needs to be looked into. You know, 30 positions for president of basketball operations or general manager um, have been filled since 2010, six African-Americans. So, you know, it's undeniable that there's a trend and it's not heading in the correct direction. Good piece by Mark Spears. I, I thought this was interesting. I was looking at the Warriors, and, and I thought it was just a good reminder. The Warriors, to me, don't particularly strike me as a team that's been together for a long, long period of time. You know, Curry, Thompson, and Green only played together for the first time four years ago and then really didn't play together till two years ago when the three of them, you know, finally when David Lee got hurt. Their career, they have regular season minutes together. They have 4,716, which was about half of what Durant, Westbrook, and Ibaka have. It's also almost three times, it's over three times what the Jazz have. Favors, Hayward, and Gobert have played 1,500 minutes together. In no season have they played more than 800. The Warriors have played 4,700, not counting playoff minutes. Just go with the Hayward and Favors, and the Jazz are 7,200 compared to Curry and Thompson at 9,200. That one's one's a season and a half. That's not as drastic. But that does tell you, though as much as I say it's not that drastic, it's still about a 25% difference. It gives you a little bit of an eye-opener of still how far in the process the Jazz have to go. Durant and Westbrook have played 16,000 minutes together. Hayward and Favors have played 7,000 minutes together. Hayward and Favors have yet to play over 1,800 minutes or more than 1,850 in a season. They've yet to play 2,000 minutes in a season together. Thompson and Curry have done it four times in a row. Durant and Westbrook did it for their fifth time this year. Hayward and Favors have yet to do it. It gives you an idea of still the inexperience of the Jazz. That is... Locked on Jazz today. Thanks very much. If it's a round the pin across the world, an advertisement request, or a a question, the email is dlock09 at gmail.com.